Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back for 2017. Simon Head, Shamatkar Sandu, back behind the mics once again for yet another dose of Fighting Talk with a distinctly British flavour. Of course, we're going to look back at the final event of 2016 as Ronda Rousey made $3 million and promptly got smashed to pieces by Amanda Nunes in that main event uh, down there in Las Vegas. 62 and a half grand a second, Sandu. I wouldn't mind that kind of pay rate. Um, so yeah, amazing, amazing way to end the year. Cody Garbrandt beating uh, Dominic Cruz in a, a fantastic, fantastic performance. TJ Dillashaw proving that he is still the, uh, the number one contender in that division, putting away John Lineker over, four, over, over three rounds, sorry. Uh, beating him uh, 30-26 across the board. Lots to talk about. Also, we're going to have an extended Q&A session on this week's show. Lots of questions from you guys. Thank you so much for that. Sandu, finished 2016, and uh, we finished it with a bang. Amanda Nunes, the lioness. Uh, she's quite quiet, but she certainly roared on fight night. She certainly did, and I suppose before we kind of get into um, the, 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 the big breakdown of UFC 207, First of all, Happy New Year to you, Simon. Happy New Year to all of our wonderful listeners. Thanks for sticking around uh, these past couple of months. If you're a new listener, uh, give us a like. Uh, subscribe to our show, iTunes, Acar, SoundCloud. You can find it in all the usual spots. And, uh, and, and also, we need to issue an apology. We did record an episode of the show. Uh, we, I, I did see a few of you guys uh, tweet us at the Britpack MMA asking where the show was. Now, we'd recorded the show. Uh, it was a, a pre-Christmas show. It was actually one of our best shows to date, uh, but always is the way. Uh, we had a few technical difficulties, uh, and we couldn't get that um, uploaded uh, for your listening pleasure uh, because it would not have been listening pleasure because there were some audio problems with the actual recording so uh, sorry about that uh, but we are back in 2017 hopefully we can get through 2017 without any further technical difficulties i have my but fingers yes. crossed yeah <laughs> but uh, but look you know um 2017 i'm sure will be uh, an interesting year in the world of mma before we can move forward we need to look back at the final event of 2016 and I suppose the best way we can sum it up, Simon, is it wasn't just a typical UFC fight night. It really was a proper event. And and even without, or even with, sorry, Ronda Rousey's media blackout, there was so much hype and, and bits and pieces to talk about and, di and dissect. But when we actually got to fight night, it felt like a proper blockbuster event. It really did, and that's the Ronda Rousey effect. She gets people interested in the sport who otherwise aren't that interested during the rest of the year. Whenever Ronda is uh, is about to step into the octagon, she brings a whole different audience with her. You know, whether it's the soccer mums or the young girls who idolise her and see her as a as a role model. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I think the reaction of her fan base and the reaction of a lot of what you would call regular hardcore MMA fans, they're not always in sync. And I think we've got that sort of situation right now. Um, Ronda Rousey, obviously, she didn't speak to the media all week. We're both media members. I've got kind of two opinions on that. First one is I think she has a duty to at least do some media in, in, the, in the lead up to the fight. I think she has a duty to, to the promotion and also to the other fighters on the card. I know Dominic Cruz was less than impressed 
Um, he'd finally been put on a card with a with a huge draw above him, and that draw didn't do any media, so that wouldn't have helped his pay per view points much. So uh, there's the, there's that side of it. Obviously, the media who cover the sport, serve the sport, give the sport a platform. I think there's a little bit there where Rousey perhaps should have given us at least something, even if it was just a set of uh, canned statements or whatever. We didn't really get anything. Um, but this is someone who got brutally knocked out um, 13 months ago, took a long time to recover mentally and physically from that. Um, and uh, I, you know, to a point, I can understand why Team Rousey wanted to wrap wrap her in cotton wool and keep her keep her away from any outside distractions leading into the fight. However, when you do that and then you step into the octagon, you've got to show some semblance of improvement, some some evidence that you have at least worked on and improved something in your game. And we saw nothing, Sandu. We didn't see anything. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ronda Rousey as a personality. I'm a huge fan of Ronda Rousey for what she's achieved in the sport. Uh, and I think I think she she's a real trailblazer for the sport. I don't think she's come across very well in the last couple of weeks. Pretty much from the uh, the weigh-ins at 2.05 where she came onto the stage. And uh, it's been from that point on. And But really, a fighter is judged. You know, the end-all be-all is what they do in the octagon. And she got in the octagon... No head movement, walk forward, did exactly what she did against Holly Holm. Holly Holm is a, is a precision striker who likes to stick and move and uh, work her openings and outscore people. That's how she won her boxing world titles. And uh, Amanda Nunes made Holly Holm's win over Rousey look pedestrian and laboured and slow. Amanda Nunes went in there and just completely blitzed her. And uh, I'm sure you've heard the, the, uh, the corner audio of Edmund Tarverdian by now. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, there there would have been people in the crowd shouting more useful advice than uh, than Edmund was giving during that fight. Rousey came in there, thirteen months away, showed no improvement, and uh, got lit up like a Christmas tree, as Joe Rogan said. And the sport has evolved beyond Ronda Rousey. Now, there's two there's two issues there. One, um, is it is it the, is it down to a trainer? There's a lot being put down on Edmund Tarverdian for, for not improving her. But the other thing here is Rhonda chose to stay with Edmund. Rhonda was told by a lot of people, including her own mum, that she needed to bin him off, go to a big camp, go to Jackson's, go to, you know, Evolution Fight Team or, you know, uh, sorry, Elevation Fight Team. Any, whoever, Matt, you know, Matt Hume, if you want a bit more one-on-one -on -one attention, go to someone like Matt Hume who works with Demetrius Johnson so well. But she didn't. She stuck with what she knew. But what she knew wasn't enough, and she got beat convincingly by Amanda Nunes. Yeah, I think you pretty much summed it up pretty well there, Simon. I think we're used to seeing Ronda Rousey uh, get the, the first round victory or <laughs> get a victory in the, within the first minute. Um, that's the first time she's been defeated in that manner. And like you said, uh, it was even more impressive than what Holly Holm did uh, a year ago. I think it was something like 27 uh, significant strikes. Amanda Nunes landed within those 48 seconds. Ronda Rousey didn't even touch. I think she got one glancing strike, uh, Amanda Nunes, but they didn't, you know, cause any damage whatsoever. Uh, and, and thankfully, the referee stepped in at, an, at a very appropriate time. Um, otherwise, Ronda Rousey was in, in a situation where she would have 
uh, perhaps been completely knocked out cold. That's the that's exactly where uh, the fight was headed. Um, and she chose once again uh, to um, not speak to the media after uh, the fight ended. Um, she left the octagon immediately, didn't speak to Joe Rogan, um, which that part I'm absolutely fine with because obviously your your head's all over the place, you know, you got to clear the cobwebs and, and whatnot. Uh, but once things had probably settled down a little bit, I think it would have been nice. It would have been good. Forget about us. Forget about the media. I think just for her own um, emotional and mental process, not just off the fight night, but over the course of the last year, it would have done her a hell of a lot of good to just come out, speak to the media, even if it's just to, to read a statement or to answer a couple of questions, give us five or ten minutes um, so she can then you know move on as well. Uh, but what she did is she left the building. She made her way back to her home in L.A. Uh, there was a statement that was issued to ESPN.com. It it read like it was, uh, you know, just a PR rep had kind of um, put it together and got her sign off before it was sent to ESPN. Um, just kind of asking for some time, thanking her fans, sort of in a way, um, you know, saying congratulations to Amanda Nunes without actually saying congratulations, which, again, it's a similar thing to last year where she didn't immediately congratulate Holly Holm but then gave a sort of offhanded well done uh, when she did her bit on uh, SNL. But um, but I, I agree, Simon. I said, look, you know, I, I personally didn't care too much with um, uh, not speaking to the media. I really didn't. I thought, listen, that's what you need to get through to the, through this um, uh, fight. And the UFC have allowed you to do this. That's fine. All you can do as a fighter is negotiate, barter, and ask. I think the the, the onus was on the UFC to put their foot down because, you know, immediately the very first thought that came to my head and, and to a lot of people's minds was, look, hey, you pulled Conor McGregor from UFC 200 earlier this year because he refused to attend one press conference and he gave a valid reason for that. He just wanted to stick around in Dublin or I think he might have been in Iceland at the time and and, and continue to prepare and get better as a fighter coming off um, his very first loss in the UFC. So he gave a valid reason. Now, he said that he'll do all the other media. You know, he was prepared to do everything else um, but he wanted to miss one press conference, but the UFC scrapped, you know, pulled him from the UFC 200 just for that one reason. So again, you know, we'll we'll see what kind of residual impact this has moving forward on on, on McGregor and other fighters um, who don't perhaps want to speak to the media. You know, Dana White said this was one and done. You know, we'll see about that. It may be one and done, but this has these kind of actions has you know major ramifications on how things you know work moving forward. Also, another major kind of I suppose um, uh, talking point here is the conflict of interest. You've got WMEIMG who represent Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey is their client. They also <laughs> own the UFC. You know. Uh, we, we we didn't ha- have any promotion whatsoever of Amanda Nunes leading up to this fight, which, again, I think is just a, a major uh, misstep by the promotion because had they put in some promotional hustle and muscle behind Nunes, the fact that she blitzed Ronda Rousey would have just done them a, a huge world of good, not just for Nunes but for the promotion because then you're – essentially you've got another star on your hands you've got another draw on your hands or you're building up a star at least just like misha tate's losses to ronda rousey helped her just like 
Holly Holmes victory over Ronda Rousey helped her, just like Nate Diaz's win over Conor McGregor put him into the stratosphere. You know, we're we're a few days removed from UFC 207. Why haven't you put Amanda Nunes on Good Morning America? You know, why haven't you got her doing the late night show rounds? Why haven't you got her doing something, you know, with some of the mainstream media outlets uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, to continue this, this this hype train of Amanda Nunes, who now, after beating Valentina Shevchenko, beating Holly Holm and beating Ronda Rousey, she's really up there in the mix of fighter of the year. She's, in my opinion, definitely the female fighter of the year. But if you're going to put the boys with the girls... She's right there up with some of the other guys like Conor McGregor, like Cody Garbrandt um, and Michael Bisping as the overall fighter of the year. So um, so I, I think that there's, there's so much to talk about here, Simon, uh, so much to, to, to dissect. And I think UFC 207 will continue to be a talking point uh, for quite some time because there were just so many things that happened. And that's, that's just from the main event. Forget about the, the co-main and the rest of the card. That's just the main event. Uh, but I agree with a lot of what you said there regarding a performance. Um, absolutely no improvement over the last year. So what does this media blackout actually mean? Nothing. She is as responsible herself as much as her uh, uh, coach, Edmund Tiberian. She's the one that chose to, stuck, uh, to stick with him. She should have, obviously, we've been saying it for, for quite some time, moved on to a proper coach, an AKA, an American top team, a Jackson Wink, a TriStar, a, 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 you know, a legitimate you know, camp with proper coaching staff, I've got years and years of experience of MMA. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 at the end of the day, it all falls on her shoulders. She, uh, in hindsight now, didn't make the right decisions, uh, and the proof was putting, you know, she got, like you said, uh, lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, the thing, the thing that sort of leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth isn't the fact that... <clears throat> it isn't the fact that Ronda didn't do any media. It was, it was the fact that from the outside looking in, it it looked so much as if the UFC were, they weren't just promoting Ronda, they were supporting Ronda. There was, as you say, there was no coverage of Amanda really going into that fight. Um, more notable than that, it, it, came, it came across to me that they were trying to protect Rousey's psyche. That's how it felt to me. Why was there no footage of Holly Holm knocking her out? In any of the promos, why? Why was that? That's the single most relevant piece of uh, content that the UFC has in their library. Heading into her next fight, the last moment we saw her in the octagon was when she got knocked out by Holly Holm. That wasn't included in any of the pre-fight stuff. Why wasn't Amanda Nunes promoted as this hard-hitting, surging star who's now? gone through some of the some of the more respected names at the top of the division to become a world champion the first brazilian female ufc champion why wasn't any of that built up obviously when ronda fought holly they they had all of holly's backstory they did that brilliant beautiful um promo film called revolution where they they took both of them through their career from children all the way up beautifully shot piece of content and that really sold the fight, and it sold it as a, uh, you know, we've got two world-class athletes stepping in there. We've got Ronda Rousey, this all-conquering UFC champion, but now she's facing a challenge she's never faced before, this former multi-weight boxing champion who's moved across to the UFC, and now they're converging in Melbourne. And then you had this sense of, this is a fight. We've got two elite-level 
women about to about to throw down in the octagon. We didn't get that with this fight. It was the Ronda Rousey show. Amanda Nunes was given... She wasn't even given lip service. She was barely given any coverage at all in terms of, offic- of, of any kind of official push. And while Amanda is a very unassuming and modest and, and uh, just, a, just, a, just a nice, down-to-earth person to talk to, um, she deserved better than that. She deserved better than that. She deserved to be... She's the champion, for Christ's sake. You know, she's the one with the belt. It should be... Ronda Rousey's coming back. You know, she's come back from adversity. She's doing this. She's doing that. You know, she lost when she was in judo. She came back and won an Olympic medal. She was dominating the UFC. And one moment knocks her off the rails. But she's back, back, back. But now look who she's got to fight. This absolute killer who destroyed Misha Tate. You know, and and, and went, went up through the ranks of the UFC women's bantamweight division, that would have made the fight even more compelling. Rather than it just being the Ronda Rousey show, it would have been Ronda's coming back, but look who she's got to fight. Rather than it being Ronda's coming back, who's she fighting again? And then, you know, the fact that the world champion got no promotion for me is, is a disgrace. I think, I think you know, I hope, I hope Amanda gets well paid. She gets, I think she's getting 200 grand plus pay-per-view points on top. So I'm sure she's I'm sure she's more than happy. This will be the biggest payday of her career. Ronda Rousey got three million for that fight, um, and she didn't offer a lot. She offered no media, no promotion. She offered I think like one punch in the fight, and no improvement from the last time. So I I want to see Ronda, I would love to see Ronda back. I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of people were saying her career is probably over, and it probably is. I would like to see Ronda back. I would like to see Ronda fight in the back half of next year, having spent the entirety of 2017 with Greg Jackson or with Javier Mendez or with Matt Hume someone, or with Firas Sahabi um, and also under the tutelage of a legitimate striking coach. Her, her grappling is without, without question. She has that. Her problem is her footwork and her, and her ability to defend herself against strikes. And that wasn't addressed, and that's why she lost against Holm. That's why she lost against Nunes. Same thing, just history repeating itself. Charles Sonnen said the, 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 the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, over again, and, over again. And, yep. and expecting a different result. And he nailed it. Um, if she wants to give this another go, and she might not want to, and who'd blame her, right? Um, if she does want to give it another go, give yourself a chance. I don't think. I think by sticking with Edmund Tarverdian, Ronda Rousey didn't give herself a chance. And in that respect, I think that she she kind of lost the fight before she ever stepped in the octagon. So, be interested to see what happens with her next. I'm expecting that she'll probably retire. Um, I would take absolutely no pleasure from seeing that. I think she's a superb athlete. The UFC would love to see her stick around. There's a different career path for her right now. Um, I'd love to see her stick around, reinvent herself, and come back. We've seen fighters do it before. Michael Bisbing uh, has done it. He went and joined Jason Perillo, and he completely transformed his game, and now he's a world champion. Ronda Rousey's got world championship-level skills to a point. She needs to add some other strings to her bow. If she can do that over the course of the next nine months... Maybe she could step in there and, and become a contender again. And what a story that would be to follow. You know, that, that could be uh, a Netflix-style 
sort of uh, journey that they could follow, you know. It depends on what she wants to do. I know she loves the WWE. I know that, you know, the movie uh, avenue might still be there. Her value will have dropped, I would imagine, as a result of these two losses. And also as a result of hiding away from the media, effectively. So, interesting to see what she does next. I wish her well. I'd love to see her back, but after a suitable layoff and a different training camp. That, oh, go on. I can see you already say something else there. No, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with everything, but I just wanted to add that from my personal point of view, I'd like to see her come back. I don't think she will. Um, It'll be quite sad if this is how um, one of the the biggest names of the sport, um, literally the reason why we have a women's MMA in the UFC goes out like that. You know, she's still young enough. She's still very much you know, being a, a lifetime superior elite athlete. You know, we saw what incredible physical condition she was in coming into the fight. Um, so she's capable. Of, she's got the money, you know. Um, she's not a, a fighter that doesn't have options, um, you know, in front of her with regards to being able to change things up, bringing in training partners. She can do all the special bits and pieces that um, a fighter perhaps would need to improve um, his his or her game. Um you know, it's just interesting where, as we are now in 2017, as this is going to be a monumental year for the UFC, heading into these big TV broadcast right negotiations, uh, the fact that they've got to hit this uh, target of, I can't even remember what the, the target is by June, um, to kind of uh, get this uh, massive um, bonus payout. They need stars. They need pay-per-view We've just seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, Chris Cyborg uh, popped hot um, for um, what essentially is a diuretic, but it is a banned substance. Uh, We'll see what kind of punishment she gets, but uh, at the very least, that'll most likely be a year, at least. Um, So with Chris Cyborg being out, and if Ronda Rousey doesn't return, if she retires after this, you've essentially got two of your biggest draws ever in in women's MMA uh, out of the game. What are you left with? left with Conor McGregor. And what are the UFC doing right now? They're playing mind games with Conor McGregor. All McGregor wants is a, is a visit. All he wants is a conversation with the new owners that he hasn't had yet, according to him anyway. They are refusing to do that, or at least via Dana White and him being the conduit of speaking to us. He wants McGregor to call him. Well, we'll see how that all plays out now. Because if Ronda Rousey isn't going to be back, uh, and you've got to kind of have big, big blockbuster pay-per-views to bring in um, you know the real big bucks. That's still right now the way the current model is. That's that's still where the UFC uh, brings in uh, the most um, amount of revenue. We'll see how that conversation plays out and how that relationship plays out uh, this year. Uh, but you're right. I think even if Ronda Rousey does come back, she's gonna have to do a lot of work both in the gym, uh, but also outside of the gym. I think she's gonna need to rebuild herself, rebuild her character, rebuild her personality, and that's not gonna mean speaking to Ellen DeGeneres or Conan O'Brien. She's going to need to speak to the media, the MMA indigenous media, um, you know, and answer all the tough questions. Not just for us, not just so that we can get answers. I think she needs it for herself. She really needs it for herself. I'm no, you know, psychological analyst or anything, uh, but I think she needs to go through this process to be able to come through on the other side and then actually be able to move forward. Um, I think Again, just from looking from the outside, looking in, she internalizes a hell of a lot. And I think that doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever. So, you know, it remains to be seen. You know, I'm sure the UFC would still like to have 
uh, Ronda Rousey back and be in the Ronda Rousey business. Um, you know, she does have other avenues outside um, of the fight game. Um, but again, maybe just from her own personal um, athletic drive, um, she wouldn't want to go out like this either. You know, I think the rumor was that she wanted to kind of, uh, all the speculation anyway, was that she would want to uh, reclaim her 135 championship uh, and then go on to fight the winner of Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durand me for the 145 championship, go out as a two-weight champion. That's now no longer uh, the case. Right now, as things stand, she would be leaving the sport uh, with two devastating losses. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I don't think we'll come back. Uh, but, but if she if she does, she's more than capable of, of doing things um, and coming back as long as it's done in the right way. In that 145 pound division, I know we're kind of labouring the Ronda Rousey story right now, um, but I think it's, it's relevant. It's, that 145 pound division might just be the thing that keeps her around, you know, because at 135, she never looks that fantastic at the weigh-ins. She looks very... Last couple of weigh-ins we've seen, Melbourne and, and this time around in Vegas, she didn't look great at the weigh-ins. She's a big 35er. Uh, she's very solid. Um... And uh, she looks healthy enough on fight night, but on the scale, she doesn't look she doesn't look good at all. One forty five might be better for her. Um, and given that it, it is effectively a new weight division, we're interested. You know, if 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 the UFC persists with it, um, given that there's there's going to be this hundred forty five pound belt, they need fighters in that division. They can pick and choose people to start to slot in there. Ronda could only be one win away from fighting for the title at 145. As ridiculous as that might sound, that might be the case. So there's a possibility there that you could stick her in there with, with somebody who, who's capable of fighting at 145, um, give us, again, sort of eight, nine months, then put her in in a 145 contender fight, win that, then she's in there with Holly Holm or Jermaine Durandamy. And who wouldn't want to see Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey too? That you know, that's that's that's, that's big money. Um, you're talking about WME IMG, and it's quite a nice way to move things along. You mentioned about obviously, you know, they're talking with, or they're, or they're not talking with McGregor, but they need to. As as things stand at the moment, unless they book McGregor quickly, he's out of action until after your uh, deadline of June for that bonus, right? So. He's not likely to be around until then. They might just about scrape him in. Um, I think he's uh, he's due to become a dad in May, so that would be a big ask for him to be in a fight camp when uh, when 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 Dee's about to give birth. So I don't think that's feasible. I think I think unless they book him in a fight in the first, well, in February. That's what we're looking at, really. If they don't book him in a fight in February, they've not got him until the second half of the year. So. In terms of making money off Conor McGregor, they're going to struggle right now. So what they need to do is they need to build new stars. And WMEIMG, that's their business. Which is why it makes the whole Amanda Nunes situation even more preposterous. Because right now, they're sitting on a star and they've not done anything with her. You know, this is the girl who beat Ronda Rousey. Holly, you think what, you know, the push Holly Holm had when yep. she beat Rousey. She was the darling of the talk shows. Everyone loved her. You know, because she comes across really well. Amanda Nunes comes across really well. Her English is is, is superb, and and um, you know, there's an awful lot of upside with Amanda Nunes. They didn't give themselves the opportunity. Now they really need to start promoting some of these new young stars on the way up. People like Amanda Nunes, 
people like Stipe Miocic, who is obviously the heavyweight world champion. And if you're the heavyweight world champion, you should be getting pushed to the heavens. And then someone else who is absolutely tailor-made for this WME IMG promotional push is the new UFC bantamweight champion of the world, Cody Garbrandt, who I think we all thought he had a puncher's chance going in there with Dominic Cruz. There was always the possibility, maybe if he can catch Cruz, he can do it. I don't think too many people predicted that he would outmaneuver the master of, of movement himself, Dominic Cruz, throughout five rounds, um, drop him three times and, uh, and, and, and beat him in the way he did. Cody Garbrandt came of age on, on Friday night at UFC 207 and he is a star and everything from his backstory to the way he looks to the way he deals with the media to the way he fights. He ticks almost every box going, and he's only 25 years of age. Um, he's got a remarkable story, and uh, he's capped that remarkable story with a, the most superb performance. One of the performances of 2016, in my opinion, beating Dominic Cruz. The UFC's got star in their hands, and I think they need to push this guy to the heavens. What do you reckon? I was so blown away by Cody Garbrandt, uh, Simon. Uh, I honestly didn't see that type of performance coming at all. Um, I, I predicted Amanda Nunes would beat Ronda Rousey via first round to knockout TKO. I was bang on the money there. Um, I was completely off with that co-main event. I thought Dominic Cruz would do what he normally does, um, and that's uh, you know get, get a, a really comprehensive 50-45 uh, or a 49-46 type of uh, decision performance. Uh, and what Cody Garbrandt did in that fight just it just blew me away. I just did not see it coming. I, I, I literally thought, right, he could probably, you know, like you said, he's got a puncher's chances. He's a power puncher. And credit to Cruz for taking some of some taking some um, you know, massive shots from, from Cody, um, and uh, that proved what kind of chin Cruz has, uh, even at this stage of his career. But um, what Cody was doing, the movement, the head movement, the striking, the uh, how he was almost at a certain point toying. With Cruz, almost out Dominic Cruz, out Dominic Cruising Dominic Cruz, you know, and the way he was just uh, break dancing, doing a push up in between, and just the you know kept continuing the mind games and continuing uh, the trash talk that would been kind of building up for a few weeks leading up to this fight, and coming out on the other end as the victor, uh, Team Alpha Male finally got it done, you know, they finally got it done, they finally got somebody who could beat Dominic Cruz. And uh, and I, I, I thought not only was this a star-making uh, performance from Cody, but I, I thought the stock went up for both guys, both in, in, in loss and, and in victory. I think with Cody, um, he said um, he was going to wrap the belt around young Maddox, uh, who he'd promised if he could beat, uh, you know, leukemia. I think he's uh, he had um, uh, he'd win the world championship, and, and he kind of was the man of his word there. Uh, and again... What a first act as champion. Just absolutely marvellous. Uh, really nice emotional moment there. Um, and then on, on the flip side, you've had Dominic Cruz in his very first loss in the UFC, in his very first loss as a bantamweight. What does he do? He comes to the back and he faces the media and answers all of the tough questions. And you just got to applaud him, you know. And the immediate comparisons were to the female bantamweight. Ronda Rousey, who should have done the same thing. Um, and it was just pure class from Dominic Cruz. Uh, I take my hat off to him. 
Um, you know, you can you can tell a lot from a fighter, both in victory and in loss, but more so in defeat, to see how they react to it. Um, we saw the criticism that Ronda Rousey got over the past 13 months. Uh, nothing but absolute praise for Dominic Cruz in how he handled uh, that loss. But going back to your initial point, Simon, WME IMG have got a megastar on their hands with Cody Garbrandt. He's 25 years old. He's a, he's a good-looking chap. He performs well in the octagon. He ha- handles all his media obligations, um, 10 out of 10. Um, you've also got now two UFC champions who are from Cleveland, Ohio, Ohio. So what you could potentially do now is, you know, we saw what they did with Stipe Miocic in UFC 203. Um, He was the homecoming king. You've got an opportunity now to bring to Cleveland two UFC champions. uh, And I'm sure that would do the world of good for Cleveland. Uh, There's a a great storyline you could build in there. Um, I I am a little bit uh, worried if Miocic actually wants to back to Cleveland and fight uh, back-to-back there because when I interviewed him in in London uh, a few months back, uh, when he was on a bit of a, a bit of a tour here in Europe, he did say he'd prefer to perhaps fight elsewhere, maybe in Vegas, maybe in Madison Square Garden, before going back to Cleveland, only because he didn't realise how much the the media obligations and the, the pressure of fighting at home would actually affect him, and 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 it got to him emotionally. Now, 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 whether that that's that's past now, whether maybe you know he's had some time to settle um, down with that idea and go back is another story, uh, but. You know, regardless of where they kind of position Cody moving forward, uh, they've got someone who I think now, Simon, could potentially dominate this division for years to come. He's got age on his side. He's got knockout power. We know that. And what he proved on Saturday or Friday night, in fact, was the fact he can go 25 minutes. He can go 25 minutes. And he went 25 minutes with the best, the absolute best fighter ever to go 25 minutes. Dominic Cruz is all about outwitting you, outsmarting you, outmaneuvering you for 25 minutes. And uh, and Cody proved that he could do that. Uh, he's got a chin on him. He's got power in, in, his, in his hands. Um, he's got great movement. He's got great in-octagon psychology. He's got everything. He's got the entire package. I mean, I was trying to think to myself, who could possibly be a threat to Cody Garbron? And hey, listen, Dominic Cruz in a rematch could definitely give him a run for his money. TJ Dillashaw could definitely give him a run for his money. But I'm now picking Cody Garbrandt in both those potential fights moving down the road. The only kind of fighter I was thinking that could possibly give, or, or the only possible style of a fighter that could potentially give um, Cody Garbrandt some trouble was perhaps if 135 had a Damian Meyer type of fighter in there. But I just don't see that kind of fighter that could perhaps wrap Garbrandt up like a, like a Christmas present and tap him out. I just don't see it. Um, so I think Cody Garbrandt's going to be around for a long time as champion, and I think we could be uh, witnessing the start of something really special here in the UFC. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the big thing with Cody is he's he's come in with a reputation as a as a big puncher, and you look at his record, it is it, the record of a knockout artist. But now we're seeing it, you know there's a lot more to his game than that. You put him in there with an elite level guy, and now you're beginning to see the layers and. I think I think this is this was something that obviously he had in his locker and we didn't ever need to see it because he was just blasting people out quick. Um I have to say about Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt, uh had the opportunity to talk to both of them this year and, and they're both obviously very different characters, but they're both absolute class acts to deal with. Um spoke to Cody at UFC two oh two before he fought uh Mizugaki and 
came. It's the first time I'd ever ever had any dealings with Cody, and I I walked away from 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 my media chat with him, absolutely just super impressed with the guy, just super impressed with the guy, the way he carries himself. Um, he even came and sat down with us afterwards. Uh, there's a few of us all sat on the table, just finishing up a few bits. He came and sat down with us, took a few phone calls, pretended like he was part of the media and stuff. He was having a bit of a laugh with us. He's a really, really lovely guy, and uh, he's obviously got that. He's got that 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 ability to flip the switch when he gets in the octagon and become this sort of cold-eyed killer that you need to be to become a world champion. Um, but he, he's he's got a heart of gold, as, as as you see with the whole you know the story with his with his, with his young friend Maddox and all the rest of it. Um, and you can't you could do anything but wish success for the guy. Dominic Cruz, he can be quite a spiky personality at times. I love talking to Dominic Cruz. I love listening. Well, actually, no, I love listening to Dominic Cruz. I think he he educates me every time I listen to him speak. And uh, the measure of the guy, as you said, was when he fronted up in the press conference with all the trash talk, everything that was said in the lead up to the fight. Um, Cruz afterwards paid paid tribute to Garbrandt for his performance, admitted that Garbrandt was the better man on the day and said that he's going to have to come back, uh, refused to take the view that losing was in any way a failure on his part. It was just that the other guy was better on the day and that he's going to come again. And I think that uh, fantastic. Very reminiscent for me of Conor McGregor when he lost to Nate Diaz. The yeah. way he came and fronted up, made no excuses whatsoever, cr- uh, praised the guy who beat him and vowed to return. So looking forward to seeing where Dominic Cruz slots in as we move into 2017. You talk about Cody Garbrandt potentially dominating that division. He could. But I think what we have here is a triumvirate of fighters who those three, Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw, who fought just before him against John Lineker and won a lopsided uh, unanimous decision, 30-26 and all three cards. Those three guys, I think, could be sitting at the top of that division for a while. And we might even see the belt switch hands every now and again. I think I think from a technical perspective, I think TJ Dillashaw is 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 the match for Dominic Cruz. I think he's a match for Cody Garbrandt. I think Cody Garbrandt's big difference maker is his power. Dominic Cruz's big difference maker was his movement. TJ Dillashaw's got a bit of both. Um so I think I think there's fascinating permutations between those three. Uh, Lineker obviously comes in. He's got this this huge power punching uh, approach. Not a lot of refinement there. He just goes in and tries to knock your head off. Him versus Garbrandt would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch at some point. But he needs to get himself into contention. But uh, I think Dillashaw Garbrandt is the fight that needs to happen next. And uh, I can't wait to see it. I think that's a superb fight, and that 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 would be. That would be a really good fight. If the UFC are really looking to push Garbrandt as a star, that would be a great a great main event to put on Big Fox. Really get some get some eyeballs on the guy, then stick him in a pay-per-view. Maybe with Stipe in Ohio, possibly, or even somewhere else. But but uh, stick him on a pay-per-view once you've built that, you've sort of further cultivated that fan base for him. Because before, he was just this young upstart who they were going to put in to face this all-conquering champion. Now he's the man, and now it's a case of let's learn more about this guy. Let's go out and tell the world about Cody Garbrandt, get people interested in him. Because when, when you hear the story of Cody Garbrandt, it's hard not to be invested in him. He's, 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 a, he's got, as I said earlier, he ticks every box. That takes us to the, the fight that, that preceded it. TJ Dillashaw versus John Lineker. Um, again, 
it was very much Bull versus Matador. Um, and uh, the Matador won easily, easily. And uh, that was as impressive a performance as I think we've seen. We've seen some incredible performances from TJ Dillashaw. I think he's one of the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and he hasn't got a belt. Um, I think he's that good. And um, the way, he put on a masterclass against Lineker and uh, made Lineker look incredibly one-dimensional. And uh, I think he, I think it was, a, was it round round two? It was a 10-8 round in round two. Um, but he, he he won that fight so convincingly, it was it was it was ridiculous. He has to be next, doesn't he? Now I don't mind if the UFC put on Cody Garbrandt versus Tito Dillashaw. I've got absolutely no problem with that. I just thought, and I tweeted this out right after the fight. I just think that when the best bantamweight you've ever had loses the UFC championship for the very first time. I think that he's owed and deserves an immediate rematch. Now, Dominic Cruz did say, listen, if the UFC want to go with a Dillashaw fight for Cody uh, and and he needs to perhaps fight somebody else to kind of work his way back up to that title shot, he's got no problem with that, which again, just kind of shows what kind of man he is. He, he's not out there demanding an, an immediate rematch. Um, but But me personally, I personally, if I'm the UFC... I do the immediate rematch now. Where does that put TJ Dillashaw? I'm not really sure because he's definitely earned his his title shot too. But also, I think things might be a little bit frosty between TJ Dillashaw and the UFC, especially um, with him being on the board of the the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association, who are now obviously in, in a bit of a process uh, trying to ramp up more media attention and get more fighters to sign up to that particular um, effort to uh, unionize or organize um, fighters. So we'll see you know, how that uh, plays out. Uh, but yeah, if I'm the UFC, I do the immediate rematch um, because I think any other champion in any other division uh, that's been that good for that long and has never been uh, defeated. For example, you know, if Demetrius Johnson all of a sudden lost his flyweight championship, would have no problem him getting an immediate rematch. Now, I know things are a little bit different with Bantamweight because it's a bit more of a stacked division. There's lots of good talent there, especially in the top four or five, and there's cases to be made for fighters like TJ Dillashaw, um, who has rebounded from losing his championship with two really, really stellar performances in uh, Rafael Asuncao at UFC 200 and uh, John Lineker this past weekend at UFC 207. But like I said, it's a personal a personal kind of point of view and a personal opinion. I do the rematch, but like I said, I've got absolutely no problem if the UFC went ahead with Garbrandt versus Dillashaw. Uh, but I am putting a lot of stock and a lot of weight behind um, by be behind Garbrandt. I think he's a real deal. Um, his performance on Friday night just absolutely blew me away, uh, and, I, and I would be picking him uh, in a rematch uh, with Dominic Cruz and also uh, a fight with Dillashaw. I think um, you know as long as he can um, emotionally and, and mentally um, you know carry the weight of a, of a champion and everything that comes with it over the next couple of years, um, I think he'll be dominating this division for for many many years to come. Yeah, I I, I understand the argument for Cruz, and it makes a lot of sense. But Dillashaw should have had a rematch against Cruz after that first fight that they had. Um, didn't get it. Was forced to sort of move down the ladder and work his way back up. He's done everything they could possibly have asked from him. There isn't anybody else for him to fight. Um, so I think they've got to do Dillashaw against Garbrandt next. Cruz said he could take some time off. They could give Cruz nine months off. 
and he could come straight back into a in into a title fight uh, towards the back end of twenty seventeen. But I think I think that I think that Dillashaw fight is the one that really needs to happen next in terms of what's fair to Dillashaw, what's relevant for Garbrandt, and also that's one hell of a matchup, not just in terms of skill sets, in terms of backstory as well. Former training partners at Team Alpha Male. Um, TJ Dillashaw, I think before before this uh, before this event, said that he made Cody Garbrandt cry in the training room and things like this. And and you just think this fight has to happen. You know, there's 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 simmering tension between the pair anyway. Obviously, Dillashaw has left Team Alpha Male and has gone off to join uh, Elevation Fight Team out there in Colorado. Um, Garbrandt very firmly ensconced within Team Alpha Male. I think there's a there's a story waiting to be written there, and uh, I'd like to see that. Cruz deserves to get another shot at the belt as soon as possible, but I'd, I'd put Dillashaw in above him at the moment. But lots lots of permutations to consider in the bantamweight division. Quickly running down the rest of the card. Dong Hyun Kim uh, outpointed Tarek Safadine by split decision. Ray Borg, who missed weight during fight week, uh, defeated Louis Smolka, <coughs> who looked awful on the scales, but somehow managed to make weight. Uh, Borg won that by, by unanimous decision pretty convincingly. Good, impressive performance from Borg. But um, obviously issues with making weight there. Says he needs to work on that. And once he has, he says he wants to start moving up and heading towards a shot at Demetrius Johnson. Prelims, Neil Magny, uh, unanimous decision win against Johnny Hendricks. We watched all these fights from the Grosvenor Casino in, in Russell Square, London, Sandu. And this was one of those fights where if you weren't au fait with the scoring criteria and how you weight them, you would have given this fight to Johnny Hendricks. But and we, we, you know, we sat and watched this together, and at the end of that fight, Neil Magny stole that last round, and that was the round that won the fight. All three scorecards scored it twenty nine twenty eight, and that last round, which was Hendricks was basically laying on top of Magny for much of that round, but not doing a lot. Magny eventually managed to get some offense off right at the end of the round. That won him the round because the the you know the effective striking and the effective. You know, the effective grappling. That's what won in that fight. Um, so he won that one. Antonio Carlos Jr. beat Marvin Vittori. Not much to write home about in that fight. Alex Garcia absolutely laid out Mike Pyle. One punch knockout. That was impressive. Nico Price. Uh, good debut performance from him against Brandon Thatch. Arm triangle finish. And the first fight of the night. Let's talk about this first fight of the night, Sandy. Alex Oliveira versus Tim Means. The fight was ruled a no contest. Uh, illegal knees by Tim Means um, on Alex Oliveira. Uh, it was judged at the time that those knees were accidental and therefore the fight was ruled a no contest. Lots of controversy. and I didn't really understand why. Um, everybody who, who covers the sport regularly, or at least everyone on my timeline who covers the sport regularly, everyone was in agreement. This, this, this should have been a DQ. Alex Oliveira should have won the fight by disqualification. Um, and there was a lot, you know, I was getting people tweeting me, telling me I didn't know the rules and three points and, you know, three point stance and all this stuff. And it, it, this is, this is not a difficult rule. The rule is as it stands. Well, in fact, the rule is about to change now, isn't it? We're in 2017, but, um, the rule as it stood on that night was anything other than the soles of your feet on the mat means that you're a grounded fighter. Um, and uh, Alex, uh, sorry, yeah, Alex Oliveira had uh, had one knee down, 
Now, that isn't one of the soles of his feet. It's his knee. Therefore, he was grounded. Therefore, those knee strikes were illegal. <laughs> Ming should have been disqualified. Um, you know, we were watching that together. What did you make of that whole situation? It seemed very messy, and I don't understand why it wasn't cleared up very quickly. It seemed pretty cut and dried to me. Yeah, we had a few questions come in, and, uh, and I thought we were going to get into it in the Q&A, but uh, you brought it up, so let's get into it now. Uh, it was, uh, you know... Uh, illegal knees um, plain and clear to see you know he should have been disqualified it should not be a no contest simple as um, I'm really surprised um, that both Joe Rogan in the commentary booth uh, and Mark Ratner um, who absolutely gets praised all the time uh, was brought in uh, to weigh in and both of them got it wrong Simon they both got it wrong and it was Really bad to see because, you know, there was a, probably a lot of new fans that were watching the product that night uh, because of the Ronda Rousey effect. And they were being misinformed about, you know, some of the very ba- most basic rules in the in the sport. So, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate. Uh, there's, there's a great video going around online. Uh, yeah, I'll maybe tweet it out later so people can check it out of, um, of Joe Rogan uh, interviewing Tim Means. Um, right after the the fight ended, and you've you've got John McCarthy in the background just putting his hands through his hair, um, in in like disgust almost about the explanation of the rules that Joe Rogan was giving. Um, so yeah, very unfortunate. Uh, and and actually, it, the reason I, th- I I say it's really unfortunate for Tim Means because I was actually picking him to win that fight. I thought he was doing really really well. And uh, and had it not been for the fact that Alex Oliveira had that knee down, had Tim Means just been able to compose himself in that moment uh, and carried him on because he had he had Alex Oliveira against the cage there and he was doing pretty well, um, he would have probably come away with a first round uh, TKO or knockout victory there. But as it stands, it, it's a no contest. And if I'm Alex Oliveira, I'm actually uh, going to challenge. I'm going to challenge this uh, with the Nevada State Athletic Commission and um, see so you can get it overruled. Um, because uh, if it is a, a DQ, um, then Alex Oliveira could very well pick up a uh, a win bonus there. Yeah, I believe he is challenging it. I believe he he's, he is going to challenge that, and I think uh, <clears throat> I think he's going to win. To be honest, I can't see any instance whereby that's not going to get overturned. I think that for whatever reason, it just it was just a complete. It was like a perfect storm of of of. Uh, People just making mistakes, one after the other after the other. And it happens. This is a human sport. People make mistakes. Um, it was unfortunate at the time. I mean, Tim Tim Means made a mistake. Um, Tim Means also thought that those knees were legal, which is perhaps a little more a little more concerning that, that, that a pro fighter doesn't isn't a hundred percent sure of the rules. So so um that's 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 another another issue that came out. Of this. He also, he also came out had a bit of a pop at the media, telling them to put their laptops down and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I think he wants a little bit more credit for what he's doing in the octagon. And um, everyone I speak to about Tim Means thinks he's a phenomenal fighter. And I think this is this has sort of hit his momentum a little bit. I think if he could get a couple of wins together, I think he's someone who everyone enjoys watching fight. He always delivers the action. I think he's an exciting guy to watch. Um, I hope we see him back. I think this was a bit of a, a bit of an aberration, if you like, a bit of an anomaly. Um, and uh, hopefully everyone moves on from it, and we can we can see Means back in there winning again, Alex Oliveira back in there again, and uh, you know we'll we'll go from there. 
that was UFC 207. Uh, we don't have an event for a couple of weeks now, Sandu. 15th of Jan is the next one. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll obviously talk about that when we get a little bit closer. But uh, I understand we've had, you know, we've had a lot of questions this week. So given that we've had so many questions, we thought we might as well just extend our Q&A session this week um, and, and just talk about, talk about what you guys out there want us to talk about. Answer a few of your questions and uh, wrap up our first show of 2017 with a bit of an extended Q&A. Yeah, that's right. We'll go into um, what, we're, what we've got planned for, for next week's show, because like you said, Simon, um, it's, it's a couple of uh, couple of weeks until the next big UFC event. Um, so there won't be anything this upcoming weekend uh, to preview or to react to. But I'm sure next week um, there'll be something, there, there always is, uh, something that will come up uh, in the MMA bubble uh, that will be a hot talking point. Uh, but we do have something special planned for next week's show which we'll reveal a little bit later on. But for the time being, uh, again, thank you very much for everyone that tweets in the questions. Uh, if you don't know by now, at the Britpack MMA is the Twitter handle. Feel free uh, to throw in and fire away with your questions uh, throughout the week. Um, I'll always be monitoring them and I'll give it a like so that you know I will be um, asking them or bringing them up um, in the following week's show. And to kick us off this week, it's the people's hero who says, do you think the women's featherweight division will survive into 2018? So, Simon, we've got Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy, which, as it currently stands, um, is the UFC 208 uh, main event coming up in, in February. And they'll be fighting uh, for the inaugural UFC 145-pound women's championship. Now, they brought it in, Simon. Um, what your thoughts, or what are your what's your speculation? I suppose um, an opinion on why the UFC have introduced this championship. And yeah, like uh, the people here asked, do you think we'll see it survive into 2018? I think we'll see it survive, if only to make sure that they save face. I don't think you can announce a new division and then bin it off. I think I think that that just shows you up for 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 not really thinking things through or. You know, it, it just makes a mockery of what you're trying to achieve. So I think they've said the division's happening. I think the division now has to happen. So I think the reason for the division in the first place was to provide uh, an option for arguably the biggest fights they could make in the women's in the women's uh, MMA sphere, if you like, because you've got Ronda Rousey who can fight at 145. But most most of it was because of Cyborg. Cyborg can't fight below 145 pounds. And I think largely creating that division was in order to provide a platform so they could bring Cyborg properly into the UFC fold. It creates another world champion. By creating another world champion, it gives the UFC another marketable star. It also gives them another option when it comes to building cards. And they like to have a world champion at the top of a pay-per-view card. By creating another champion, um, that then increases your permutations a little bit. And I think that as things progress, I wouldn't be that surprised if we started to see maybe another one or two weight classes added. Maybe some, uh, you know, whether it be like a light, a light middleweight class that was sort of one seven six or something like that, or um, a two a two fifteen pound class just above the light heavyweight class, maybe a cruiserweight class. You know, there's lots of potential options for sort of just uh, having a more granular set of um, weight classes 
so that fighters can make weight more easily. It spreads things out a bit more. It gives them more world championship options. I think this weight class will continue. I think it has to, because they've said it's it's started. They've put it at the top of a UFC pay-per-view. So it's got to happen now. Uh, the big thing for them is they need to get fighters into that division, um, because at the moment we've got two. So uh, two is not enough for division. So fingers crossed everything will, will progress on that front, and we'll have... Not two, but three uh, blossoming uh, female fighting divisions in the UFC by the end of the year. Brilliant. Stuart Tuckwell tweets in and says, how many current champions do you think will still hold a belt this time next year? So off the top of my head, I'm thinking Amanda Nunes. I'm thinking Demetrius Johnson. I'm thinking Cody Garbrandt. uh, And I'm thinking... Conor McGregor. Um, those are my kind of like personal, you know, you know locks uh, for fighters that will still be championed by the end of 2017. Obviously, with divisions like 205, you've got the potential return of John Jones. Um, so I think he might rock the boat, or he might rock Daniel Cormier's boat there in terms of still being champion. Um, in heavyweight division, you've got Stephen Miocic, who's a current champion, but that division has always been so volatile. It'll be very, very surprising if Miocic runs through 2017 as still the champion. Michael Bisping's going to have, uh, you know, he, he's in a shark tank of, of 185-pound contenders fighting their way through to try and get a crack at him. Actually, I, I think Joanna Janjacek um, will also be the champion by the end of 2017. Um, anyone I left out, Simon, anyone that you think will still be uh, the champion by the end of the year? Anyone that you disagree with, considering my picks? I... I wouldn't be surprised if only two of the current champions are still holding their belts by the end of the year for a whole multitude of different reasons. And the two people who I think are most likely to still be holding on to their belts at the end of the year are Ioanni and Jacek and Amanda Nunes because of the level of dominance they have over their divisions and because they're not likely to move weight classes anytime soon. I can see Demetrius Johnson uh, potentially vacating that flyweight title by the end of the year, having beaten Anderson Silva's record. I think that is entirely feasible. Domin- uh, sorry, um, Cody Garbrandt in that bantamweight division may end up finishing the year with the belt. It wouldn't surprise me if he drops it and then won it back. That's the kind of division the bantamweight division is. You could see him getting in there with TJ Dillashaw. Uh, that fight could go either way. He could lose the belt to Dillashaw in the summer and win it back in the winter. That's the kind of division the bantamweight division is right now. Um, where are we? Featherweight, Jose Aldo. <coughs> he's the current undisputed, in quotes, champion. He's taking on Max Holloway. I think Holloway can win that fight. So I think that's one that could potentially go. Conor McGregor. I think it depends on if Conor McGregor fights at lightweight in 2017. I know that sounds ridiculous, but he didn't fight at featherweight last year. Um, if he's going to pursue the welterweight title, it's been suggested that he might then maybe we won't see him at 155. If he does fight at 155, he's probably going to have to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think that's a coin flip fight. Or Tony Ferguson, I think that's a that's a tough fight for him as well. So he could potentially lose his belt. I think he's he's got a strong case for for hanging on to it. But I think Conor versus uh, Nurmagomedov is a is one hell of a fight and I wouldn't I wouldn't be putting my house on on uh, on on anybody on that fight. Tyron Woodley He's got to fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson again. 
uh, and that's a that's a, a, a an absolute murderer's row of contenders in that division. You know, Condit, if if he keeps going, might want to get back in there with Woodley. Obviously, their fight didn't quite go uh, the full distance. Robbie Lawler might might come back refreshed and ready for a rematch. Damian Meyer will offer a different challenge. Donald Cerrone is in the form of his career, and he looks like he can beat anybody right now. So there's a lot of potential challenges to Tyron Woodley. Middleweight Michael Bisbing has got a murderer's row of people just champing at the bit to take his head off. If he gets through 2017 unscathed, then he has to be the fighter of the year, no question about it. Daniel Cormier, I think, might end up moving up to heavyweight by the end of the year. You never know. Um, and uh, the heavyweight division is so so completely unpredictable, you just don't know what's going to happen in that division. Um, Stipe's probably the best guy right now, but who knows what's going to happen. So uh, the only two fighters who I think I would put money on definitely, definitely going through the year unbeaten and hanging on to their titles are the two the two women. Mm-hmm. Joanny and Jacek, Amanda Nunes, I think. The others, anyone's guess. Anything could happen in those other divisions. The only other one I think could potentially do it is DJ. But I have a feeling DJ might be a bantamweight by the end of 2017. We'll have to wait and see. Right, well, Chris Lewis tweets in and says, with no Rousey, no Tate or Cyborg, who's the draw? Is it just Holly Holm? Now, that's a good question. I think the proof will be in the pudding of how much of a draw Holly Holm really is when it comes to UFC 208 if her fight with Jermaine Durandamy ends up being uh, the the, the actual main event. There's still some time. The UFC could definitely put together another big title fight. Um, But since Holly Holm um, beat Ronda Rousey, um, she only had UFC 200. Um, Sorry. Uh, the uh, the fight with uh, with Misha Tate um, at UFC 196, and obviously you had McGregor and Nate Diaz, you know, topping the bill there. Uh, so it's kind of hard to gauge what kind of a draw she was on her own. I know that the the the, the fight with Valentina Shevchenko um, on Fox uh, that did some pretty decent numbers, uh, but this title fight will definitely will definitely tell us what kind of a draw she is. Um, over the course of the last year, giving the push that she got following the Rousey fight. Uh, but I think Amanda Nunes, um, for for the women anyway, um, could potentially be a draw for the UFC if they jump on this, if they promote her the right way, if they just let her truck along the way she is um, by just doing the rounds with the with the usual MMA media. Um, then potentially for the next year, I, th- I think I think he's right. I think we could potentially just be left with Holly Holm um, as the only le- legitimate crossover star, crossover draw um, with the mainstream public um, in Holly Holm. Yeah, if we're just talking about the women's bantamweight division, then then probably yes. And I think the storyline that, that might be worth keeping an eye on now, obviously Holly's fighting for the featherweight title now. If she wins that, she hasn't fought Amanda Nunes yet. Um, and she's a former bantamweight world champion. So if she goes and wins that featherweight belt, then there is the option for either Nunes to move up and challenge, because Nunes is a big bantamweight, or for Holm to move back down and challenge. And then you've got another uh, simultaneous two-weight world champion if the UFC wanted to go down that route. If you want to build a star, you put a belt on them, then that doesn't half help. If they've got two, then really, you know... you. You've got something you really can start to push to the mainstream media, and this is someone who's a world champion in more than one weight class. 
in the toughest sport in the world. Uh, in terms of overall uh, women's MMA within the UFC, obviously we saw the Paige Van Zandt Michelle Waterson fight did some stupendous figures on Fox, um, did really well. And um, obviously Paige always does well at the box office anyway. Um, she's got that crossover appeal, the Dancing with the Stars and all the rest of it. But Michelle Waterson really came out of that as a as a star as well. And given that she won the fight, I think a lot of people are going to start to follow her journey if the UFC can just continue that momentum with, with, with her because she's another one. She comes across fantastically with the media. She's got a, a lovely personality about her. She's got, she's got a... A, a cute little daughter who runs around the gym mats with it. You know, it's it's just it's just a really really nice, uh, sellable story to a mainstream media who perhaps wouldn't ordinarily be watching uh, women fight. Um, and uh, I think she's she's someone who the UFC, if they put a bit of effort behind, could become an even bigger star in in 2017. But that's obviously in that lower weight division. And Yuani and Jacek, she deserves to be lauded to the heavens anyway. I think she's one of the best fighters in the UFC. Full stop. And uh, they can't give her enough enough of a push, as far as I'm concerned. She is a superstar. Um, it's just the mainstream the mainstream world don't know it yet, um, and uh, it's down to the guys at WMEIMG to tell that story. And uh, fingers crossed they do, because if anyone deserves a push um, and has got the skills and the ability to back it up, then it's you, Annie, and Jacek. She's top three pound for pound for me, so I think she needs a big push. But bantamweight, yeah, I think Holly's probably the number one draw right now. Or bantamweight and featherweight, she's she's definitely the number one draw right now. Marcus Edwards tweets in and says, "What's your take on the Goldberg departure?" So, for anyone that doesn't know by now, Mike Goldberg, a longtime UFC commentator, been with the organization uh, predates the Zufa era. Even you know we're in the WME IMG era, but he's been around for about 19 years. Uh, UFC 207 was his final broadcast. Um, he now has, uh, you know, gone in separate ways uh, with the UFC, and uh, Dana White said that they'll be making an announcement very, very soon with regards to who his replacement will be. And uh, one assumes that that means that uh, moving forward for the big pay-per-views, anyway, uh, Joe Rogan will have uh, somebody new sitting alongside him, um, and not someone that's already existing within the commentary options, like a John Anik or a John Gooden, uh, Brian Stan etc etc i personally thought now before i actually go into my thoughts on how uh, mike goldberg's uh, kind of uh, exit was handled simon you know working in the media as we do i think in any form of media whether you work for a promotion whether you work for an independent outlet whether you're a writer uh, whether you're you know on camera talent uh, whether in mike goldberg's case you're you're a commentator I think everyone knows when you get into this industry, it's a very, very volatile world. You can be given your pink slip. You can be given your marching orders at a moment's notice. That's just the uh, that's just what we sign up for. That's just what it is. Uh, tomorrow is never promised. Next week, next month is never promised. You know, um, so it is what it is in regards to, and it, and it's it's pretty sad uh, that the industry is what it is. It's very rare uh, for anyone to be given you know a proper notice or to be let go in a traditional sense of the word. Um, you know, in a way where they can kind of plan their future. Uh, but having said all of that. I think the UFC could have done a much better job or done anything really, done something 
just to kind of give Mike Goldberg uh, a proper send off. It could have been just uh, a quick, um, you know, bit of video uh, with, with some of his uh, classic moments over the years. It could have been just a, a montage of fighters uh, and uh, UFC personalities and executives behind the scenes, um, just giving their thank you. A quick little two-minute video package to end the night. Um, that would have got a long way. They chose not to do any of that, Simon. They chose not to do that. And uh, and like I said, it's one thing to say, hey, you know what? There's other broadcasters who have been let go exactly the same way. Fine, that's fair enough. But is that really right? And, you know, with the UFC being such a young promotion, with the sport still being quite relatively young, why can't it be um, in, in so many other facets of the sport? Uh, be, uh, be a leader, be a game changer, say, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to give uh, someone that's been within our family for so long a proper send-off. Uh, but I guess it just goes to show, just like many other executives who have been let go, um, once WMEIMG took over, Mike Goldberg um, uh, got pretty much let go the exact same way. Very, very short notice, or it was essentially short notice uh, when it was um, you know, confirmed to us here in the media. Uh, but it was like, wow, okay, he's done. He's done. Ronda Rousey was his last uh, uh, versus... Um, Amanda Nunes was his last uh, fight to call in the UFC, uh, and, and off he goes. Where he goes from here? Well, let's see. I mean, I, if I'm Bellator, I am going to be calling him ASAP. And it was very interesting to see uh, what Twitter accounts Mike Goldberg had recently followed. He had followed one championship. He'd followed Bellator. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but going in, go, you know, going back to how he was actually let go, I think the UFC could have done a lot, much better job and just uh, giving him a proper send-off as he rode up into the sunset from the UFC. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, I think. You know, a lot of people like to like to critique, whether it's uh, journalists, uh, people like to critique their work, people like to critique uh, anything that's on broadcast media, and everyone thinks they can do a better job. Um, and Mike Goldberg has certainly had his fair share of people criticising him or taking the mickey out of him for some of the things he said. And uh, he's made some mistakes, and, you know, and I'm sure he would, he, would, he would hold his hand up and admit to that. And, you know, this is live television. But everyone who I know who knew Mike uh, during his time with the UFC and had had any dealings with him had nothing but nice things to say about him. They said, you know, the, the, things, that, the things that came across were his passion for the sport, his work ethic and uh, his 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 uh, happiness to help other people, and I think those are all those are all things that that maybe the public don't always get to know about. And the fact that the fact that you know we've got we've got friends within the sport, and and uh, they've they've uh, told us stories about where they've they've either you know they've been at events with Mike or they've, you know they've been consulting with him on various bits and pieces and. They've had nothing but nice things to say about him. So, whenever whenever you get a situation where someone loses a job, and it happens, it happens every day. People lose their, you know, different people lose their jobs every day. People are always being put out of work. And the most important thing is that you respect the job they've done, and as much as possible, whether you're the one losing your job or whether you're the person who has to let someone go, if you can always leave under the best possible circumstances, then that's the way you want it to happen. So that's why I found it a little strange that there wasn't at least a little nod to him, even if there was just like a little fade to black and then up on the screen, thanks Goldie. That would have been, even if that is all they did, 
that would have just been a little note to say, you know, we respect what you've done for us over the last nearly two decades. Um, and I know Goldie's son was on Twitter and, and was, was I think, quite upset about it. And um, I think I think the fact that so many people are commenting about it and the, certainly people within the media talking about it, I think that is a measure of the respect that they've had for him throughout his career because this is the voice of the sport, you know? I mean, take, take, take uh, football um, here in the UK or soccer, if you're listening stateside, we had a commentator called John Motson, and he was a legend um, and uh, commentated for the BBC. And after a while, people started to get a little bit tired of him, and which was a, a shame because he, he was he was sort of a household name and all the rest of it. And they started bringing in younger commentators who gradually phased him out. And uh, Motson still does the occasional occasional uh, bit on Match of the Day. The, uh, the BBC's big highlight show, but he doesn't do as many live commentaries as he used to. Um, but he's still held in the same reverence and uh, they've kept him around and he, he's given the reverence that he does, you know, that he deserves because of what he's put in. Um, even though he's not the guy anymore, you know, he's more, he's more of a, a side, he's been <laughs> sidelined a bit, but you know, that was handled a lot, a lot, a lot differently to this where he's basically, Goldie's been, He's been told, right, this is your last show, called his last show, shunted out the door effectively, and nothing said. I'm I'm surprised Joe Rogan didn't address it during the broadcast. Um maybe he was asked not to or told not to. We don't know. Um I just found it, it was it was just disappointing. It was disappointing. I think I think uh whenever someone who's who's uh, put that much service in for a company and been such an integral part. Like if Bruce Buffer walked away uh, on on Friday night, you can you can bet that people would be doing loads. You know, it, he'd, he'd be getting lauded to the heavens, and rightfully so. You know, Joe Silver. But then again, there was nothing for Joe Silver either. So that's the thing. Maybe this is just the the, the WME IMG way, because Joe Silver, as as he he he's been in it even longer than than Mike Goldberg. And of all the executives that the UFC are going to miss the most, you've got to think Joe Silver's right up there. And he didn't get a big send-off either. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted one because I don't think that's his character. But there, there wasn't there wasn't much of a nod to him either. And I thought that was strange as well. I know Goldie's the on-air talent and everyone's talking about that, and rightfully so. Joe Silver deserved just as much and he didn't either. So uh, he didn't get anything either. So I just think it's a shame. I think... In any sport, whether it's the NFL, whether it's the UFC, whether it's you know the uh, the English Premier League in England or the Football League in England, you need to you need to you need to respect the people who put you on the map and the people who are in your history, and you need to hold them up as as examples and stuff. So, I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame. Absolutely. Stuart Tuckwell tweets in and says, "Which UFC prospects?" Should we keep an eye on in 2017? Um, I'll tell you, I'll give you a couple that come to mind straight away. Um, Misha Serkinov uh, in the light heavyweight division. Um, he had a fantastic performance uh, in Toronto at UFC 206. Uh, light heavyweight uh, is starving for some new talent to come up through the ranks. And I think um, Serkinov is already ranked at number eight. And maybe a lot of people don't know about him. He's definitely one to keep an eye on. And again, I think he's one that the UFC should match make carefully, uh, promote really, really well. 
And I think he could be a massive star for them. Um, in the UFC's featherweight division, uh, take your pick. Yair Rodriguez, who's fighting BJ Penn uh, in the UFC's first event of 2017. Um, you know, his star continue to, continues to rise. Uh, Duho Choi, going back to the Toronto card, even though he lost in that fight of the year candidate versus Cub Swanson, he's someone um, that is, you know, someone that's just going to get better and better as time goes on. Um, and he could easily be, um, you know, someone that could potentially fight for a featherweight title within the next couple of years. Any fighters, Simon, from the top of your head that come to mind as, as a prospect our listeners should look out for and look, uh, you know, uh, make sure they uh, don't um, uh, avoid in 2017? Well, you've mentioned a couple of featherweights there. The other featherweight that sprung to mind, and it, you know, he would have sprung to mind at this point last year. He just he hasn't had that much uh, that much game time, so to speak. Masad Bektik, I think. He's he's sort of the silent assassin in that division right now. I think if they can if he can start, if he can have an active twenty seventeen, I can see him being a top five guy by the end of the year, without any question. I think he's got the lot. Uh, and in a division full of hot prospects and elite level guys, I think he's one to watch out for, for sure. I think uh, I think Jorge Masvidal. He's not a prospect. He's been around for a long time. He looks like he's hitting a sweet spot in his career right now at 170, having moved up from 155. Uh, he wants he, he's going to fight. I think he's going to fight Cowboy next. That's going to be one hell of a fight. Um, he's certainly one to watch out for. You talked about um, you talked about Serkinov at, at 205. Can't argue with that at all. Um, Corey Anderson maybe is another one. Um, he's certainly got a lot in his locker. Uh, middleweight Rob Whitaker. You know he's he he's just on the cusp now of title contention. Um, I think he's one win away from being a, a legit contender. And at heavyweight, Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou is possibly the scariest man in the UFC right now, along with Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis has had quite a bit of push, um, a big push this year, um, and uh, his last two performances uh, have pretty much left him depressed each time, even though he even though he won them both. Um, so I would expect more from him in 2017. But Francis Ngannou, I think, is a guy to definitely keep a keep an eye on. Um, and obviously, from a British perspective, um, you know, we've got we've got loads of British talent in the UFC right now. Arnold Allen. Hopefully, we can get to see a bit more of him at featherweight this year. Um, and uh, obviously, Mark Mark Diakese is someone who who I know excites both of us here on the Brit Pack. He's still quite raw. He's still very young. He's got a big upside in this sport, and I think uh, if he if he's if his career is managed well and he isn't pushed up too fast, I think he could become a bit of a star for us uh, here in the UK. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I think I think we've we're at this point now, Sandy, where there's a lot of aging aging guys at the top of the division, and I think we've now started to see a new generation of people moving their way up. And I think by the end of 20, 2017, hopefully, we'll have. We'll have some fresh stars on our hands that we can really look to get behind as, as uh, we move into 2018. Absolutely. And the final question, and it's another one from Chris Lewis, seems to be the beginnings of some bad blood between Michael Bisping and Tyron Woodley. Any chance we'll actually see it? So uh, feel free to jump on my Twitter handle because I tweeted this out uh, last night. So Michael Bisping put something out on Instagram last night. It's a video of him and Tyron Woodley uh, with a bit of banter, and it was uh, and it was called Jolo's mutual. They uh, essentially agreed 
uh, to fight at a catch weight of 180 pounds uh, sometime in April or May. Now, I thought, and I took that as a good bit of video content that has obviously gone viral. It's got people talking. Michael Bisping and Tyron Woodley have got business to take care of in their respective divisions. But we're in this WMEIMG Air assignment. Could we actually see it? What do you think? I mean, is this just some fun and games to put on, on social media? Or, or is some meat to the bone there? Well, we're recording this on Monday, January 2nd. And we're recording it early. It's about lunchtime now. Um, I woke up this morning to a message from the deputy sport editor of The Sun. And the title of the email was Bisbing versus Woodley, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And he says, is this worth six paragraphs for the paper? So I just, I just, I sent him eight because they always like to chop my stuff down anyway. So I sent them eight paragraphs <coughs> and I basically reported what had happened. I said, they've, they've agreed to fight, but none of this has been rubber stamped. They've both got business to attend to in their different weight classes. Michael Bisbing's got to deal with Yoel Romero, one would assume next and if anyone's got some unfinished business then it's Tyron Woodley he fought to a majority draw with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in an absolute thriller in New York at UFC 205 before any any thought of any fight whether it's Conor McGregor whether it's Michael Bisbing whether it's George St. Pierre if Tyron Woodley wants a super fight he's got to solidify he's got to deal with Wonderboy first that fight as far as I'm concerned hasn't finished yet that's basically how I see it. The fight was a draw. And you can't have a world title fight finish in a draw and then go fight someone else. That's ridiculous. Even if it's a non-title fight, that's ridiculous. So I think, you know, Bisbing, Bisbing Romero, I think, obviously, is, is the next one for the middleweight division. That will need to happen probably first quarter, second quarter of the year. Tyron Woodley versus Wonderboy. That's going to probably... Ha- it's funny that they, they sort of agreed to sort of May, didn't they, in this video? That's the sort of time where really they need to be fighting these other people. So um, I've got no problem with the pair of them fighting at 180. I think that would be, it would be an interesting fight. But I don't think, I think that's the sort of fight you make if both of them come through their other fights unscathed and they're healthy and they want to get another quick fight in. But I, I, it doesn't make any sense to do it now. You know, you, you make these fights when there isn't another legitimate fight to make. Bisbing, they're queuing around the block to beat Michael Bisbing. Um, and, uh, he's, you know, he's got Rockhold, his champion at the bit for another go. Jacare Souza's probably wondering what he's got to do to get a shot at the belt. Chris Weidman, obviously, is coming off a loss. We know he wants a piece of Bisbing. Gagod Musasi um, just wants to fight Bisbing and fight for the belt. Whitaker's on his way up. So, and Romero's the number one contender. He's got more than enough to be worrying about without sort of messing around with Tyron Woodley. If George St. Pierre says, I'm going to fight Michael Bisbing, I'm back in the UFC, I've got my contract sorted out, that's different because that is the money fight. That is the money fight. Tyron Woodley, who has yet to successfully defend his own world championship, like properly defend it? Nah, not for me, not for me. The story's been written and it might well up and it might well end up in the paper, but it's it's one of these where take care of the other business first, and if you're both in good nick and there isn't an obvious next fight, make it, do it, have a bit of fun. Either that or both go and do submission underground and have a bit of a grappling grappling match up. If you want to pit your wits against each other, 
do it. But if you're both holding a gold strap, your 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 uh, loyalty really needs to be to that. And you know, as champion, you, it's your duty to defend that belt, um, and that's got to come first, in my opinion. So that's it could happen. I don't think it will, but it could. Well, that wraps up all the questions for this week, Simon. Thank you so much for everyone uh, for tweeting uh, your questions. You can obviously do that throughout the week, like I said earlier on the show. It's the Brit Pack MMA. That is the Twitter handle. Now, Simon, that is the show for today. But because we don't have a big UFC event uh, coming up for a couple of weeks, um, we have something special in store for next week. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a preview there? Yeah, well, everyone does their end of year awards, right? And it would be, it would be basically lazy and remiss of us to not offer our own. So, what we're going to do, we're going to come up with some categories. Some of them will be the standard ones that that you're, you know, you're used to seeing, and maybe we'll come up with a few off the wall ones as well, just to change it up a little bit. But what we'll do, we'll take a look back through 2016, uh, pick out some magic moments, uh, dish out a few very unofficial Brit Pack awards. And uh, maybe share an anecdote or two from our time on the road in 2016. We've both been very, very fortunate to have been to quite a few events uh, in the last 12 months, and we've got we've got some good memories from uh, from our time on the road this year. So maybe we'll we'll pull the curtain back and uh, give you a, give you a couple of stories from the road as well. Um, obviously, you've got any questions? If you've got any suggestions for award categories that aren't just the usual fighter of the year knockout of the year anything slightly different or off the wall or anything like that that that, that you think we should we should uh, weigh in and, and give our take on hit us up at the brit pack mma on twitter um we'll we'll be looking to put this all together in terms of what what, what uh, awards we're going to we're going to talk about in the next probably 2 to 3 days maybe so uh, get those ones in nice and quick and uh, if you've got any questions anyway, any lingering MMA questions, anything about the year 2017 in general or anything about 2016 in general, chuck them in and we'll, you know, we'll obviously address those at the end of the show as well. But um, with, no, with, no, um, with no big UFC fights to talk about uh, in the next week or so, we're going we're gonna to change things up a little bit for next week's show. It should, be, it should be fun and hopefully you'll join us next week for that one. But uh, that's it. That's the Brit Pack. And uh, for well, that that was the first show of 2017. You can follow us on Twitter at the Brit Pack MMA, at Sandu MMA, and at Simon Head. The website where everything lives is thebritpackmma.com. You'll get links to all the different places you can subscribe, which include iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, uh, and YouTube now. So we will get the shows up on all those platforms in the coming hours and days so please be sure to, uh, to check all those out um, give us a subscribe on iTunes give us a subscribe on YouTube as well leave us leave us a review on iTunes if you can as well and uh, obviously you can get us on social media throughout the week as well that was the Brit Pack first show 2017 thank you so much for all your support and uh, being a part of the show throughout the last year uh, it's been great fun to get this thing up and running and uh, hopefully we'll kick this thing up a gear and uh, go from strength to strength as we head into 2017. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.